the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The estate planning team is an Ohio-registered investment advisor. The following is for informational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any securities or financial products. Be sure to consult with a qualified financial advice and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. You have financial goals and dreams. We can help you achieve them. Welcome to Financial Food for Thought, the show that answers all the questions on how to maximize your lifestyle and preserve your wealth. Good morning, everyone. You're listening to Financial Food for Thought. Um, We are here every Saturday morning on 1420 AM, and we're a financial educational talk program here to give you helpful information about issues that can impact your financial life, whether you're working or you're already enjoying your retirement years. And we hope to make you aware of issues and opportunities and potential problems and hopefully make you someone who is active and being proactive about your financial life instead of letting things fall where they may. And certainly people are still worried about the market, inflation, um, government spending. And we're going to talk today about the new Secure Act 2.0 that was passed at the end of last year. And um, a lot of people could be affected, but it also leads to opportunities for many people that you may not be aware of. So um, hopefully we'll talk about that. And we did talk about it on our other previous shows that we did over the holidays. Um, We highlighted a lot of detail on that Secure Act 2.0. And if you want to hear even more in depth than you're getting today, you can go to our website at financialfoodforthought.com and click on the podcast in the last two weeks really focused on more of the highlights of that in detail and what you need to know and the most relevant Um, pieces, which it's complicated. And uh, this show is sponsored by the estate planning team. And the estate planning team is an Ohio registered fiduciary fee-based planning firm. We have affordable hourly and comprehensive retainer options. And what we do is number crunching and financial modeling and objective unbiased analysis. So our clients know what steps to take and strategies to use to protect their long-term financial stability, how to create the income they need as tax efficiently as possible, what steps they can take while they're working to at least um, for diversification for that tax efficient income. And also knowing how much you really can afford to spend. Many people come in and they're worried that they can't afford to retire or um, they can't do the spending they want to do. And the things that they're worried about really aren't going to materially affect them ever running out of money. And other people who come in who aren't worried should be. Um, and that's the value of long-term, long-range planning. And also you can see potential opportunities, um, problems you might be headed for that you're not aware of. And we can also model in a worst case scenario, because certainly if you're planning on retiring, maybe you want to see that worst case scenario before you're comfortable making that decision, or you want to see a worst case scenario before you're comfortable doing that additional spending. And we can do that. We're not investment advisors. We do look at your assets in terms of 
how much risk you really need to be taking on um, and tax efficient income as well. But we don't do the investments. Our clients either work with their existing investment advisor or they do the investing on their own. And we don't care. We do something uh, very different. And we work with a lot of investment advisors in the area and with the coordinated effort of plans. And that's true of what we do in coordination of advisors is a big part of what we do, whether that's the attorney, the insurance agent, or um, healthcare person, or a tax preparer, or the investment advisor. And we offer a free, no obligation, no pressure consultation. So if you want to start off the new year, look at issues, opportunities, and we do a free analysis for that free consultation. Learn if you're underspending, overspending, um, what things you should be aware of and where you're headed and just get a gauge. Um, we can do those by phone or in person. And we're scheduling the first quarter of 2023. So if you'd like to schedule and take advantage of that free consultation, you can call 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Leave a message. We'll get back to you on Monday, or you can go to financialfoodforthought.com, the website. You can sign up for a free consultation. You can sign up for our newsletter. You can listen to our podcast and get other helpful information. If you sign up for the newsletter, anyone who was on that list got a blast of a good two-page summary of the highlights of the Secure Act 2.0. Right. And and that's what we're going to start with, Kerry. Right. right? So we, we can... Um, so we're just now. Right now, the 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 newsletter that has a good synopsis of the Secure Act Two, which was part of the you know the one point seven trillion dollar omnibus spending package that the Congress it was buried. Passed. Like we couldn't <laughs> yeah. have just passed that. So it, it was in that. It was included, embedded in that, and. I think our newsletter carries got about 16 bullet points. But if, as you mentioned, if you go back and listen to our podcast over the holidays, that would be our Christmas show and then our New Year's show. We were we were doing the top highlights right. um, from the different news agencies, Forbes and whatever. And, 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 be, and you talked about be careful of the headlines because you're going to read a headline and there's a lot more to it and a lot right. more complexity. And I saw headlines this week and I was like, well, that's not really the case. Remember, the headline is trying to get you to read their article. Right, and and so I, I kind of 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 coined the, the the act. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it understand tax law. Gary, so. You know what's funny when I, I when I was looking at this alert, I forgot it was the secure stood for setting every community mm. up for retirement enhancement. Right, I forgot that's yeah. what it was. I yeah. was like, yeah, all right. So, Carrie, uh, I'll I'll get started, and I'll do one. You can do one. We'll do, we'll do five or six of them here, okay. and then again, it, it's we'll be talking about this for a long, long time. Um, all right, so the one that most people are interested in is the new required minimum distribution age. It has gone up again. So Secure mm-hmm. Act 1 raised it from 70 and a half to age 72. Mm-hmm. The Secure Act 2 is raising it to 73 and then eventually 74. Right. Okay, so there is some timing elements there. So, so right. basically... If, you know, so we call it, you know, when is your attainable age? You know, in other words, when do you turn 72, 73, 75? You know, that, that's what matters here. So any individual who attains age 72 after 1231-22, which is now mm-hmm. past us, meaning if you turn 72 this year um, and age 73 before 1-1-20-33, your applicable age is 73. 
Okay. okay. Any individual who attains age 74 after 1231-32, their applicable age is 75. Right. Okay. So we will, uh, and again, that is going to get confusing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with all the the distribution rules, and and if you're if you're married and you're not the same age, so you're not going to be st- you might not be starting at the same date. Um, so that's a lot. That adds a lot of complexity mm-hmm. if you're trying to project out what your future required minimum distributions are going to be. Um, but it also uh, provides planning opportunities because right, it opens that window bigger for people. Right, and and the Roth conversions and and all those things or efficiency. IRA distribution planning, which we spent a good part of the end of last year. Mark, you were doing a ton of analysis and coordinated looking at how much more people could take from their IRAs um, tax efficiently, maybe you up to a certain threshold, because people f- may not remember, but after 2025, if Congress does nothing, tax rates are going up. The standard duct- deduction reverts to what it was before. Now it's like I think twenty seven seven maybe, I yeah. believe without for, um, married, yeah. for married filing jointly Over, it goes yeah. back to what it was prior, which is I think about cut in half. Right. So that's going to cause tax rates. So between twenty twenty three and twenty twenty five, you might have a window of opportunity that you should consider taking steps and using strategies, and you might want to talk to us about a free consultation and look at those issues. Now, the other one also they changed that there were no more required minimum distributions from a Roth 401k account. Now, the Roth IRA account, no one had to take any minimum required distributions. But if you had Roth money in a 401k, you had to take distributions, the minimum required distribution. However, it wasn't taxed, but you still had to take them. That has been eliminated. All right. And then um, also another one that a lot of people are interested in is the higher catch-up contributions. Mm -hmm. So the IRA catch-up contribution limit will be indexed annually for inflation, similar to work-sponsored catch-up contributions. Also starting in 2025, and that's part of the complexity. It's these all these all these changes aren't necessarily starting in this year in 2023 or next year in 2024. Some it, it depends. That's the complexity. Right. The complexity alone will prevent compliance, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But okay, so the higher catch-up. So starting in 2025, people age 60 to 63 will be able to contribute an additional minimum of $10,000 for 401k and similar plans, and at least 5000 extra for simple plans each year to their work-based retirement plan. Okay, moreover, beginning in 2024, all catch-up contributions for those making more than 145000 will be after-tax Roth contributions. So there's a lot of complexity there, and, and it's going to take a long time for people to memorize those rules and it's going to i think it's going to drive the corporate payroll departments crazy um, because they're going to be responsible or if they're farming it out to a one of the large brokerage Mm -hmm. you know uh, companies someone's going to have to be responsible for keeping track of the of complying with all that and all those ages and all those different start dates and, and whether they're making 
more or less than 145,000. Then we add into the new distribution rules, who, which ages based on your birthday, they're going to have to write some programs like who has minimums now. Because one of the problems, which, which one of the things I think is very difficult in our complicated tax code is when they put an adjusted, like a $145,000 limit on something, because you don't really know what your income is going to be until the, the year's, year's over. over. Right. So you do your best to assume. Right. But guess what? Sometimes interest, dividends, capital gains. How many people at the end of 2021 had huge capital gains that maybe they weren't expecting, but they didn't get until the end of the year? Right. And, and so I don't know how, if, how is the payroll department or whoever the IRA or the 401k custodian going to make that determination that the 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 uh, employee is making over 140 now obviously if their w2 is over 145 well that's obvious but, but what if they're married yeah, joint i, mean, I don't uh, know if that's what the rule is that's right. what some of the complexity there's a lot of gray area well, the other one is the Roth matching contributions. The new law permits employer matches to be made to Roth accounts. Currently, employer matches had to go to the pre-tax account. So even if you were putting 100% into your Roth 401k, the employer match had to go to the traditional 401k. Now they're permitted um that meaning permitted means they don't have to because even right. though the provision takes effect immediately, it may take some time for employers to amend their plans and include their feature, this feature. That means they don't have to. Plus, it's a lot more work for them if they're right. making those options available. Right. That means they have to have somebody in their department who's who's dealing with that mm-hmm. and understands it. And if you now were before every match goes to the traditional and then they're saying what if some people wanted to go to the traditional some people go to a Roth that's going to be another way where it's going to be complicated for the people having to administer all of this stuff and manage it. All right. So here's another one that got a lot of headlines as Carrie, you were mentioning, but there's a lot of complexity. This is where you'll read the headline that 529, you know, those are those college saving plans, now are available to roll over to Roth IRAs. Okay, so people will be able to directly roll over up to a total of 35000 from a 529 plan account to a Roth IRAs. But it has to be the same beneficiary, right? Mm-hmm. Has to, okay. Um, and also, provided that the 529 accounts have been held for at least 15 years. Okay. Um, and and then, that's where I think people aren't going to pay attention when they see the headline is the 15 years. And additionally... There's annual, the rollover amounts would be subject to the Roth IRA contribution limits, which is a whole nother set of restrictions, again, based on your income, which can fluctuate from year to year. So that is going to, again, it sounds good and it sounds exciting. And, uh, and, but and I talked a lot about this on those last two shows, Carrie, and, and, you know, and, and if you're, and we have been talking to our clients 
really since the federal state tax exemption went up so high and we weren't concerned about federal state taxes anymore, we really had started discussions with our clients, especially our grandparents, who were thinking about funding 529 accounts for their grandchildren. And we said, you know what, you might just want to do it in your own Roth IRA, um, you, you know, and, and just build up a Roth IRA. that For flexibility? No restrictions on how you use it for the grandchildren. And, you know, we're not concerned about the Roth IRA being subject to federal state tax anymore with the higher exemption. All right. The other one, which I I think is a little unusual, I guess, the automatic enrollment and automatic savings increases, um, which is basically beginning in 2025, the act requires most new work-sponsored plans to automatically enroll its employees with contribution levels between 3% and 10% of the income. So they're forcing a plan contribution. And it automatically increases their savings rate by 1% a year until they reach at least 10%, but not more than 15% of the income. Workers will be able to opt out of this program. I think this is another one if people don't pay attention. If it's an automatic thing and all of a sudden you're expecting this check, then you're going to get more taken out. I think that's a cash flow issue. I think it should be a choice. I don't think it should be automatic. And then people should have to elect out of it. Um, and I think that's going to be another one. I mean, there's, they're saying three, it's, I guess it's employer decided it's anywhere from 3% to 10%, but not, and then it goes up every year, but up to 10%, but then there's a not more than 15% of the total income. That should be interesting. Another nightmare for these administrators. Yeah. All right. So, so, so you getting you're getting the idea. There, there's a lot of things in there. We'll be talking about them. Whether or not they affect you directly, they may, they might not. It could affect your kids directly. Mm-hmm. You know, they may need to be aware of these rules, and you can help them out with that. But we'll we'll keep uh, we'll keep. Uh, talking about them, and I think we'll be talking for a long, long time. Because I think there'll be a lot of clarification needed. Um, I also, to clarify something, Carrie, on a a couple of the shows ago, I was talking about the EV, electric vehicle credits. And and there's a lot of, you know, and part of some of the recent tax law changes was going to extend the credits that you can get. But one of the things that I was mentioning was that the $7,500 credit was really only available for purchasing, okay, the EV, the, auto, the, the, the car, not necessarily if you were leasing it, all right? And that, a lot of people weren't aware of that. A lot of people think that wasn't fair because it's hard to buy a, a, a vehicle. You know, they're expensive. Right. And many more people maybe afford to lease one. Right. And the spirit of the rule to try to get clean, right? Right. Well, <laughs> more people driving them. Right. Well, but- not everyone can buy a $50,000 EV, right? Right. Um, but could many more at least lease one? Right. Well, then you also have the whole thing. I don't know how much cleaner when where does electricity come from? A lot of times coal. Right. And and <laughs> and but but so but apparently enough people complained. I don't mm-hmm. know. Right. Or enough countries complained that apparently now lease vehicles will qualify. Hmm. So this is a little bit of an update. Right. And I don't know and it's a little bit I'm scratching my head, Carrie, because right. I'm just trying to follow here what happened. 
But so this was an article out of Reuters, and this was at the end of the year, December 29th. The U.S. Treasury Department said on Thursday that electric vehicles leased by consumers can qualify starting January 1st for up to the $7,500 in commercial clean vehicle tax credits, a decision that makes those assembled outside North America eligible. So this is the crazy thing. I think what happened, Gary, I, I, I don't know if I got this right or not, but so part of the the credit was it, it, only if the, the automobile was assembled in North America, right. being Mexico, U.S., or Canada, right. which was a lot of the other foreign countries were upset about that because they were being closed out right. uh, uh, you know, of those things. Um, and... Yeah. So, and part of this was the the Inflation Reduction Act, you know, that was passed at the end of the year. Um, the new Treasury guidance does not change the definition of what constitutes North American assembly. The four hundred thirty billion dollar U.S. Inflation Reduction Act passed in August ended the seventy five hundred consumer tax credits for purchase of electric vehicles assembled outside North America, angering South Korea, European Union, Japan, and others. So I think what they there's a deal, it's a backdoor deal, a oh, loophole deal. So apparently, be, the law said, well, now leased vehicles can qualify, right? But they didn't. The the the, the original definition of the of assembly was only for new vehicles, mm-hmm. not for leased vehicles. So I think it's a loophole. Yeah. So now these foreign countries will be able to sell their goods right. and these new leased EVs aren't going to be right. made in North America. Well, you don't have to worry about me. I don't think I will ever be buying an EV until I'm forced to. Um, regardless of how you feel about that, if you want to start the new year off right, take advantage of our free consultation. We offer it without pressure. We provide free analysis and we can do it by phone or in person, whatever you prefer. We help people who are working, who are retired, um, know what steps to take, what opportunities. Um, we look at issues if you need a little bit of help or a lot of help. And we've been around more than 35 years in the greater Cleveland area. And we're accredited members of the Better Business Bureau, A-rated. Check out our Angie's List and Google reviews and the Better Business reviews if you want to do some due diligence. Um, We're scheduling the first quarter of 2023. So if you'd like to get on the schedule, either visit our website, send an email. You will get a response by Monday or leave a voicemail and we will call you back on Monday. Our number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. And I wanted to mention, if you're working, we um, do have early morning and evening availability for those free consultations for those people. I've had a few questions through emails lately. All right. So you're listening to Mark Daly and Carrie Waddell, and we're the co-owners of the estate planning team. The estate planning team has been helping Cleveland families build custom financial plans for over 36 years. And over those decades, Carrie, we've certainly have had our share of new complicated tax laws and looking for opportunities. That's what we want people to be excited about. The complexity is not getting any simpler. I think everyone agrees with that. But don't get too, you know, you get bogged down in the complexity that makes you not even look for them. No, I think you have to be active. We're very active plans for state planning. I think that's when you work with someone, a professional, because they'll get you through. You don't have to know all the And that's why we're so big on coordinated advisors, you know, because, you know, some of our time, some of our new clients say, Mark, I didn't even know I should have been asking my CPA for that. And it's like, we know what questions you need to be asking your other advisors. 
advisors. And just just as simple as that, as simple as that the EV credit. There is a lot more rules to that. There is caps on income. There's caps on the, the how much the automobile costs. It's it's, but it could be an opportunity that you don't want to miss. Um, all right, so we got some, you know, payroll. We got the triple play payroll data. Right, Carrie came early. You mm-hmm. know the, this. You know we're taping the show on Friday, and the jobs report came out this morning. But just going back, all right, I you know Carrie, are we witnessing the Federal Reserve's immaculate disinflation? Mm. Because is is their medicine working? Or would it happen anyway? Are we going to have a softish landing where we can bring down inflation without causing? at least a deep recession, or if any recession at all. So there's lots of data that have indicated that inflation has peaked. And as a matter of fact, next week we'll get CPI data, which we'll be talking about. Um, But let me go back. So first we had the ADP report, and that was a big beat, where the consensus was looking for 150,000 new jobs. ADP reported 235,000. Okay, um, beating, blowing away the previous months of 127,000. They also reported that average pay growth was up 7.3 percent year over year. All right, now I don't know. A lot of people are saying, where do they get that number from? A lot of people are questioning ADP, Carrie. So I don't put too much in there. But then we got the Jolts report. You know, the job openings, mm-hmm. 10.46 million. Okay, the, the the street was saying maybe ten million. It, it, you know, it's it, it, there's still one point seven jobs available for every available worker. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, and then we got the the weekly jobless claims. Okay, they came in at two hundred four thousand, beating the previous week of two hundred twenty five thousand. Remember, we say anytime right. at two hundred thousand, that's a pretty healthy economy. Right. right. Um, now, there's there a lot of people are saying, well, you can't, you have to throw that week out. Because that was the holiday week, and you know all things go weird and during holiday weeks when nobody's working, anyways. But let's talk about the jobs report. You know, the non-farm payrolls came in at two hundred and twenty-three thousand, um, beating consensus two hundred three thousand. All right. Um, now remember, last month it was a huge, big upside. It was two hundred sixty-three thousand. That was revised slightly downward, carry, but only about about seven thousand. So again, you've got well, you know, you've got five hundred thousand new jobs in the last two months. Um, strong labor force, right? And and the unemployment rate. Three point five percent, Carrie. Actually, if you carry that one more digit, right. it actually was below the three and a half handle. It came in at three point four six nine, and that's what people are saying: is how can you have a recession when the unemployment rate is at three point four five? You can't. You can't. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's not. You know, and also, but the average hourly earnings started to tick down all right um you know so year over year it's about 4.6 percent where previously year over year was 5.1 percent okay um so that's what the fed is trying to find you know in other words could you know the everyone's getting confused not confused but shaking their heads about why does the federal reserve want higher unemployment it's it's isn't is it low employment good for the economy? Yeah. Um, well, it's not necessarily that they want high unemployment. What they want is the wage growth to slow down. 
they, they want full employment, but they don't want the wage spiral pressures. Right. You know, and and that's what we're is that what we're witnessing right now? Because you know we we've got good indications that. Um, inflation has peaked, maybe a jagged peak, but you know, basically inflation has peaked. Um, we've got indications that we're full employment in this country. Everybody who wants a job has one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and now are we seeing where the wage growth is cooling off a bit? Will that be enough to, you know, get the feds, um, to, to, to successfully navigate this soft landing? Now, that doesn't mean the federal, but still, it, it, to me, it's, this doesn't indicate any means that the Fed's going to stop raising interest rates in 2023. I still think, you know, they, they're going to try to get their, you know, their rates up to five, five and a half percent, and then inflation down below that. That's the curve that they want. Mm-hmm. They want the, um, you know, they want to get to the point where the, um, the Fed rates is higher than the, um, inflation rate, and they still have a ways to go there. So I, I don't think you're going to see, uh, you know, 50 basis point increases. I think it's going to be 25 uh, and go from there. Um, so that leads to another question, Gary, is, you know, a lot of talk over the last couple of years about the uh, the death of the 60-40 portfolio, right? Mm, right. Um, or the um, the 4% rule is broken. You know, how, how often have we... How is to- math broken? I think that's... Isn't that our society now? Two plus two doesn't equal four. <laughs> that's right. Anything depends, you want it to be. Yeah, it's, it depends how you feel. Um, so the... All right. So so let's look at the 60-40. Because certainly the 60-40 was dead in 2022. Now, I, I'll... You know, disclosure here. For how Mark Donnelly calculates the 60-40, uh, for the benchmark... 60%, I'm going to use the S&P 500. Okay. And the basic S&P 500, the one you read about in the newspaper and you hear on the radio uh, shows in the news, not the one where the investment advisors add in the dividend reinvestment to make right. the numbers look better. No, I'm using the one that's published every day. Okay. All right. Um, and then for the fixed, the 40% fixed side, I'm going to use the Barclays U.S. Aggregate Bond Index. Okay. okay. Uh, now Bloomberg is taking that over. Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index. All right. Um, so, how did that do for 2022? Well, the S and P 500 was down 19.44 percent. So, you take 60 percent of that, you'd be down, you know, 11.66. Okay, and the Barclays Aggregate Bond Index was down 13.01 percent. So, if you take 40 percent of that, that's a negative 5.2 percent. So, you take your 60 percent growth down 11.66 and your 40% fixed down 5.2 you get a cumulative down 16.87%. Ouch. Okay. Okay. Um that was not good. Right? No, but let's keep in mind though how well that 6040 did for many years well, prior that's what to we'll that. We'll look at. So okay. so let's go back. So I'm going to go back. You know, let me go back 30 years. Okay. Um so it, and it, it's not it's the sixty forty has not been negative that many times. So in the last thirty years, there's been eight eight years where the sixty forty was negative. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can pick out you you know the ones you know you're going to pick out is obviously the two thousand eight Great Recession, right? Right. That year the sixty forty was down twenty one percent. Okay. Um, this year the sixteen point eight seven that's the second worst. 
Then, then you had the previous recession to the Great Recession. That was the two thousand to the two thousand two. You know, that was the tech right. bubble burst and then Enron does that. You know, all that. Okay, so for three straight years, the sixty forty was negative. Okay. Um, okay, but but the worst being two thousand two when it was down nine point nine two percent. Then you had a couple other stragglers in between. All right, um, but um, so. So, but how, you know, but how is it dead? I don't know. So if you look at the, uh, you know, you know, the 60-40 over, I don't know if you want to. So it, it's not too attractive if you just look at last year, right? Right. Well, last year, I don't think anything was too attractive. Like, right. I mean. Well, I mean, yeah. In other words, but if you look over a three-year average, the 60-40 is about 379 if you look over the recent five-year average, it's 5.67 annualized. If we will go a bit longer, the 10-year, it's about 7.41. Nice. Okay. If you want to go longer, how about the 20-year? Okay. The 20-year. Now, that has, you know, now that's the, with the recessions. In the last 20 years, um, there's been three. I'm, and I'm calling 2022 a recession because right. I'm going to go with the technical definition. Remember, okay. a lot of people. It's really not a recession in 2022. Historically, it's a down market. Historically, it will not be looked at a recession. But there's all those. We technically we had two negative GDP quarters. That's right. a recession. So okay, I'll call 2022 a recession. Okay. So in the last 20 years, there's been three of them. You know, 20, 2008, 2020, and 2022. Okay, even there, the 60/40 is held up pretty well. 6.75 percent annualized. Okay. Um, so. If you want to look out 30 years, mm-hmm. now we're talking about four recessions because now we add in 2000, okay, 2008, 2020, and, two, and 2022, okay, the S&P, or the, the, you know, that 60-40 portfolio annualized 7.33%. So I don't know if the 60-40 is dead. Um, it certainly died is it resi- you know we'll see if it comes back this year but how about the benjins 4% rules broken you know before you go to that real quick i think when people open their year end statements i've already had some clients say ah oh, when we're looking at the net worth update oh i don't even want to look at my statements this year but the point is longevity yes we had a down market but are you going to be okay? And for many people, do you need to have the 60-40? I mean, when we run our plans for people, we use conservative realistic numbers in the projection, which is well under, for the most part, that 7% of the 60-40. So then it comes back to if you're worried about market risk, maybe you don't need to be in a 60-40. Maybe you could be in a 50-50 to give you more peace of mind. So that's the value. Do you really know what growth rate you need to make your money last based on the spending you want to do throughout your lifetime. And and that's the point, that that's being very active. In other words, you may change your investment allocation as you change, you know, over your lifespans. Right. You may, may have a much higher, more risk allocation when you're working. When you have your wages to rely on, you may have to change that when you go into retirement, especially if you have a big withdrawal need from the investment nest egg. But let's talk about... Is Benjamin's four percent rule broken? Now, 
Benj, you know, Bill Benjamin, who, who is, he's the one who created the 4% rule back in, he published his work back in 1994. And basically, uh, the way I interpret his work was that the bottom line is he was, he was saying that, um, about a 50 50 portfolio, okay, if you, you know, 50% growth, 50% fixed, and then you assume a 30 year time period, mm-hmm. okay, and then you, figured a 5% rate of return on the 50-50 portfolio and you assume 3.5% inflation on what you increased your annual withdrawal to stay ahead with inflation, okay? Um, If you follow those rules, you know, whatever balance you start with in your nest egg, by the end of the 30th year, it would be approaching zero. You know, the idea of spending the last dollar in the last day. All right. And that's what he tried to test. And he tested all the different allocations. Okay. 100, 0, 90, 10, 80, 20. You know, he tested them all. And he went back in all the 30 year periods. And, and he came up with the most consistent one that worked that you didn't run out of money before the 30th years was about a 50 50 portfolio designed to get about a 5% rate of return. That what's led back to the what you take out the first year is 4%. And then you increase those annual distributions by three and a half percent every year after that. Okay. Right. Um, now, so a lot of people have been saying that is broken. There's no way that's going to hold up in the current conditions. And and this is not just last year that everything fell apart, but going back 10 years, we've been reading how the 4% rule is broken, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's look at the, you know, so <laughs> let's look at right now. So I, I'm going to use 30 years starting at, with ending year last year where the 50-50 didn't do so well. So how did the 50-50 do? Um, you know, last year it was, uh, it was down about 16.23%. Okay, so I'm throwing that in there, but okay. I'm also going back 29 years before that, back to 1993. Okay, so again, so let's look at the latest 30 year period because that's what Benjamin was testing. He was saying, "Is that five? You know, you know, that's all people are saying why it's broken because there's no way five percent return is going to hold up in any 30 year period anymore." So I'm going to see if it did it hold up in the last 30 year period. Okay, all right, um, all right. Now, and by the way, the last 30 years includes the four recessions right. that we talked about. All right. Um, and actually, you know, I said in the 60-40, there were eight periods where the 60-40 was negative. Right. If you go down the 50-50, you knock one of those out. Okay. So there's only seven. Okay. Um, now, that's with the reduced risk. You know, right. That's, that's the idea. But, all right, so how did the Benjamin's four percent rule hold up in the last 30 years ending 2022 and again i'm using the s&p 500 and the u.s aggregate bond index as my benchmarks all right um so for 30 years carrie the average analyzed four recessions including last year's 16 percent. i'm guessing more than five percent and no i didn't 6.89 okay all right well above five percent okay all right. Um, so I'm not sure the four percent rule is broken. Not because the mathematics, Gary, just because the philosophical. Right. I don't know. I haven't seen a 30 year period where it hasn't worked. But actually, now if you look over the last three years, it's not working because mm-hmm. you're only up 2.76 percent. Okay. If you look over the last five years, you're getting close. You're at 4.77. 
but still slightly under the 5%. Okay. But if you look over the last 10 years, you're at 6.38. And, and, you know, go up from, you know, and now if you look over the last 25 years, okay, you're about 5.68. Which is still well above the 5. Still above the 5. Um, and then the 30 year, which what Benjamin was using, you're at 6.89. But the other interesting thing about that is that in the last 30 years, I will make this comment, any allocation would have worked. Right. Because that was the, we, so we did have, you know, in other words, if you were 100% stocks you, over the 30 year, you'd be at 9%. If you're 100% fixed, over the last 30 years, you would be at 4.69%. Okay. So maybe this last 30-year period, including four recessions and last year's meltdown, still maybe it, the, the early years were so strong. So we'll see. So we'll, you know, because as you add more, you know, as you go out further and you take some of those early years, huge gains out, will we see Benjen's 4% rule failing I don't know if it's failed yet. All right. Well, regardless, know your numbers, um, get an evaluation at our free consultation and see if we can help you. If we can't help you, we'll let you know. We have different options for planning, whether it's a limited hourly basis or comprehensive retainer fees. Our number is 440-239-2090. That's 440-239-2090. Or you can visit our website at financialfoodforthought.com. All right. So it's also, Carrie, you know, the time of year that we usually talk about everybody's favorite subject, estimated tax payments. Mm-hmm. And the fourth quarter's come due. Yeah. Now, this year, it's actually due, you know, be, has to be, if you're making a quarterly payment and you're sending it in the mail, it's got to be postmarked by January 17th because January 15th falls on a Sunday. And the 16th is Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King National Holiday. So you have until this year, you have until Tuesday the 17th. And uh, so we we usually talk about estimated tax payments four times a year. Usually, you know, it's always the weekend show before the quarterly due dates, which is normally April 15th, June 15th, September 15th, and January 15th. And the reason why we do that is because many decades ago, we realized that a lot of of our clients going into retirement, becoming new clients, they didn't really have a good handle on what they should be doing for estimated taxes. They never had to worry about it while they were working because their payroll departments did a pretty darn good job of doing the right withholding. Correct. All right. So they, they weren't in, in the, in the habit of getting huge refunds, which we don't agree. We don't like our clients getting huge refunds. We think mm-hmm. it's, they could do better use of their money, especially now with short term rates, right? You know, in the three to four percent range. Mm-hmm. You know, why give the government an interest free loan if you could let your money sit in the bank for a year and earn four percent right now? Um, so, so yeah, so yeah, but that's a debate you could have all day long. Um, but we also don't want our clients owing so much on April 15th with their final return that they're being charged underestimated tax interest and or penalties. So that's where, you know, we've had the discussion and that's when we realized not too many people really had a good working knowledge of what we call the safe harbors, meaning, you know, either the previous year safe harbor or the current year safe harbor. Also, we, we quickly picked up on the idea that, 
you know, there wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of active, active management going along on here. In other words, whether they were using a professional to, to prepare their tax return or they were doing it themselves with one of the robots, you know, a TurboTax or something, that they were, the, the software would just default by putting them on the previous year's safe harbor. Mm-hmm. Because that's all the robot knows. I mean, it doesn't know what you're really going to do in the current year. It does know what your previous year's tax liability was. Right. So it can knows what your previous year's safe harbor is. And also, the robot's just going to assume that, unless you tell it differently, it's going to assume that whatever withholding you had done in the previous year would be the same. And that's not always a good assumption. All right. So... It's especially interesting this year and and is is because of what happened last year. And specifically, I'm talking about realized capital gains. Okay? Which in 2021 were historically high. All right? There were a lot of tax or not tax investment professionals who were locking in gains in anticipation of a market correction or fall in 2022, all right? So they were trying to lock in those gains. Now, that doesn't hurt you if you're in a tax-deferred account where there are no real you know, right. capital gains. It does hurt you if you're in a, a non-qualified or taxable account. Right. Because you have to pay, you know, even if you didn't sell your positions, if you owned a lot of mutual funds, you might have gotten those capital gain distributions. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a managed stock portfolio, your advisor, you you know, they did sell your positions right. to lock in those gains. Now you're, you're paying the tax man. But we also don't think or didn't think that 2022's capital gains would be as high as 2021's because Correct. of the market losses and because of that previous year's locking in the gains. Also, we, we kind of realized that there would probably be a lot, especially in those taxable accounts, there may be a lot of tax loss harvesting going on because if they did have losses – unrealized losses, a lot of those advisors, investment advisors, they they harvested those losses. Correct. So you get to use the losses and then they're going to reinvest, you know, and, 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 and pick up there. So that's tax harvesting. And actually, yeah, and we now know that 2022, I think, was a record year for tax loss harvesting. Mm-hmm. They're talking it was like 42 billion. Karen. Wow. All right. Um, all right. So, so, so here's the point. If you... If a robot or your CPA or your enrolled agent, whatever, had put you on a previous year safe harbor or even a current year safe harbor, even if they had you on a current year safe harbor, but they were assuming that part of that was the same capital gains that you had in the previous year, that may not be a good assumption. So they might have back in April of this of last year mm-hmm. didn't know any better. Had the software put you on a, either a previous year safe harbor or a current year safe harbor, assuming the same level of capital gains as the previous year, which means you were going to be overpaying in estimated payments. And if you were, and let's say you, they had you scheduled out making four quarterly estimates, mm-hmm. and now you're getting ready to make the fourth one, you might not have to make it. 
Mm-hmm. Or maybe you'll pay considerably less. And that's what we've been having our clients. And we talked about coordination of advisors, how important that is. In other words, how you got to coordinate. In other words, a lot of our, a lot of our new clients, they don't even know how to get a realized gain loss report. And I said, well, it, first of all, let's take a look at your 32 page statement that you're not even opening in mm-hmm. the, in the meltdown last year. And let's see if it's, if there's a page on 30, you know, that has that. Or if it doesn't have that, you know what? You call up your investment advisor and say, hey, throw me a bone. Can you run me a, a, a realized gain loss report? All right. Um, or they may offer that online for you tech people. There may be, you may be able to go online and request, and a, request realized. a realized gain loss report. All right. Um, you know, but anyways, get one. All right. Um, now, then also... Talk to your tax preparer and say, look at, you know, I've got some numbers here that I'm not so sure I need to make as big or any fourth quarter estimate because I think my, now I've gotten some um, data that says my capital gains aren't anywhere near where they were the previous year. All right. Um, and we've been helping our clients look through that. And in many cases, Carrie, our clients are not even, they can skip the fourth quarter estimate. And you know what? That makes them happy. Oh, yeah, that helps with cash flow. And not even that. Why make a payment then on April 15th? You're just going to wait around for the government. You know how efficient they are to get a refund? Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, so, so that's, you know, that's being active. And it's the idea that, you know, it's another good example when we say in good financial planning doesn't mean that what you did last year is what you're automatically going to do this year. Or is what you're automatically going to do next year. Each year stands alone. And you have to be active and say, I've got to make decisions on what's happening this year. Right. Your spending changes, income changes, tax opportunities. Now, I could talk about estimated tax plan, carry for the next five hours. I don't think our listeners would appreciate that. So I've got five <laughs> minutes to do okay. it. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to get through all of it, but let's let's go over the basics because I, I don't know if people, new people listening or new people going into retirement, they've got to get over the learning curve if they want to be smart about this, right? So, um, estimated income tax plan. All right. Um, so first of all, let's talk about the safe harbors. So the rule says, you know, even if you owe money, when you file your tax return, you won't be charged any underestimated interest penalty. As long as you've met one of the two safe harbors, that's the IRS guidelines of saying if you've got a certain amount of money paid in timely quotations around timely that, you know, you're you even if you owe, you're not, we're not going to be charging you any interest. All right. The first one is called the previous year safe harbor. And that basically says as long as you pay in 100 percent of your previous year's tax timely, you're covered. So even if you end up owing money on April 15th, you're not charged any interest, you know, underpayment penalty. All right. Now there's one caveat to the 100% rule for federal taxes. And that's if if in the previous year, your adjusted gross income was greater than $150,000. Doesn't matter if you're filing single or joint married. If if, if your previous year's AGI is greater than $150,000, you have to bump up to 110%. Of the previous year's tax, okay? Okay. Now, so that's the general rule, and that's the general default of 99.9% of the software out there. 
Well, I think I was going to say it's got to be the previous year because those are known numbers. Yeah, the, the, the robot That's doesn't know what's happening this year unless you tell it. Right. And even some of those don't really cover the current year. Unless your CPA knows you've had the discussion and knows that you don't want to file the previous year safe harbor because you know for sure that this year's taxes are going to be a lot less than the previous year. So that's the activity. Then you're saying, yeah, okay, I know that for a fact. If I, if you know that this year's tax is going to be a lot less than last year's tax because you're retired, I don't know, whatever, um, then you, you don't want to use the previous year safe harbor. The government doesn't make you use the previous year safe harbor. They offer you a second one, which is called the current year safe harbor. And under the current year safe harbor, as long as you've got paid in again, timely, um, at, you know, uh, at least 90% of what your actual tax liability ends up being, you're covered under the current year safe harbor. So they give you a 10% buffer mm-hmm. because it's a lot harder because you don't know, you know, until the year is all done. So you don't have to hit it exact. They give you that 10% buffer. All right. Now, there's a third offshoot, carry. And this gets into the weeds a little bit, but it, it, it comes up often enough that you need to be aware of it. Because you could have the situation where the taxpayer was on a current year safe harbor, mm-hmm. and for the first three quarters, let's say, they were doing their best to estimate what their taxes were going to be right. and pay in quarterly, all right? But they get a surprise windfall income in the fourth quarter that they weren't expecting. Maybe they won the lottery. Mm. Maybe they had large mutual fund capital gain distributions, whatever. So now they're short because if you annualize that over the whole year, they don't have enough estimated tax payments pay in. So in that situation, you can get caught up on the fourth quarter and you, but you have to file the annualization method. A little more complicated. And there's a form, you know, federal form 2210, you know, where you have to go in, you have to break down your income by quarter and then prove how much you paid in by quarter and go over that. Now, that's if you're making estimated payments. To get around all that confusion, a lot of our clients in the retirement, they don't like sending, they don't like dealing with the quarterly estimates. You have to do the coupon and send a check in and you got to get it postmark dated and, you know, right. or you're doing it electronically and that that's people are that. The other way is by withholding. Because the beauty of withholding, as long as it's withheld by December 31st of the year, the government treats it as coming in evenly throughout the whole year. So that's where a lot of our clients in retirement, we plan about their safe harbors and we say, we're going to do it through withholding, either on required minimum distributions or pension withholding or Social Security withholding. And we'll talk more about that. All right. Call the estate planning team for a free consultation at 440-239-2090 or visit financialfoodforthought.com. Tune in next week for more Financial Food for Thought. For more information about the show, for estate planning or upcoming seminars, call the estate planning team at 440-239-2090. Thanks for listening. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.